Say with me, the word is working mightily in me. Uh, today we're going to talk about the parable of the sower again, the story of the sower. And um, let me tell you something about you and me and God. God cares more about your holiness than he does your happiness. He cares more about your spiritual growth than he does your comfort. Here's what God knows. If you are holy, and, and that simply means separated unto him, then you will be happy. Holiness yields happiness. And we're going to see today that the enemy knows that as well. And the enemy does everything he can to hinder the growth of the word of God in our life. And we're going to look at another type of soil today in Jesus' parable. So let's read Matthew 13, the first three verses, and then I'm going to drop down to verse 7. Uh, and let's look at what Jesus said about the story of the sower. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him. So he got into a boat. He had to get into the boat because he was being pressed by the people. So he got into a boat, and he sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. What a beautiful scene. I really want to do that sometime. Sit in a boat and talk to people on the shore. Be neat. Now, he spoke to them in parables, which is just stories. And he was a master at it. And here's what he said. Behold, a sower, like we saw in this video, went out to sow seed. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up and choked the seed. Now, the disciples went to the Lord and said, please explain this to us. What, what does that mean? And Jesus uh, took them aside and privately explained the story of the sower. And this is what he told them in verse 7. He says, now he who receives seed among the thorns, I've lost it up there, guys. There it is. He who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world. Now, notice this. He receives the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, what do they do? Say it with me. Choke. Choke. What a description. Choke the word. And he becomes what? Unfruitful. Now, Jesus told us this so that we would understand what he was saying and so that that would not happen to us, that the word would not be choked in our life. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And we pray that you will open our eyes and ears to understand and discern and fully grasp what God is saying through this story. And Lord, we thank you for opening our eyes and giving us understanding in the name of Jesus. Now, church, pray with me and say, Lord, speak to my heart. I receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to bear fruit. You're going to be fruitful. <clears throat> Now, let's just backtrack a little bit, and let me explain this, this story of the sower again. Uh, Jesus presents three things in this story or this parable. There is the sower, there is the seed, and there's the soil. So you've got a sower sowing seed. The seed is the Word of God. The seed is primarily the gospel. And then there is the soil that receives it. Now, I've shared with you the last couple of weeks that the soil represents your heart and mine. How do we receive the Word of God or not? That's what this parable is all about. Jesus is telling us that when the seed is sown, there's four types of hearts that it falls on, that it's sown onto. 
And those four types of soil are four conditions of the heart. There is the hard ground, which represents a hard heart. And I call that one clueless because Jesus said, this person, the ground is hard because they don't understand what they've heard. Then the second kind of soil is stony, stony ground. And that represents the shallow heart that I've called rootless because it's shallow Roots can't go down into it, and if there's no roots, there's no fruit. As goes the root, so goes the fruit. All right? And then there's the thorny ground, which represents a crowded heart. And the crowded heart is fruitless. So you've got clueless, rootless, fruitless. Like I said, I work at this. I want you to remember these things. But clueless, rootless, and fruitless. So fruitless is the thorny ground. The ground is so encumbered with different things that it, that it cannot bear fruit. And that's the one we're looking at today. And then there's the good ground, which is a fertile heart. And that, that is the one that brings forth fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. Now, how many of you want to be good ground? How many of you want to be good ground? You want to produce fruit? Let me see your hands again. Come on. Does it matter to you more than anything in the world that you bring forth fruit to the kingdom of God? Amen. So say with me, clueless, rootless, fruitless, and fruitful. Now, today we're going to look at the third type of soil, which is the thorny ground um, that Jesus mentions, and that's the crowded heart, the crowded heart. Now, notice with me that in the first two types of soil, the hard ground and the rocky ground, the problem is within the soil itself. The soil is hard and unyielding in the first example, and in the second one, it's, it's rocky. So the problem is within the soil. But in this third one, the problem is not within the soil. It is what is surrounding the soil. Jesus said, the seed is sown among thorns. It is what is surrounding the soil that poses the danger in this one. The soil is fine. If it weren't for what's surrounding it, this soil would produce fruit. It would be good ground. But there is something surrounding it that prevents it from bringing forth fruit. This this person's problem is all the things that are crowding into their life that leave no room for the things of God, no place for a fruitful vine to grow. So they're crowded. They're busy. There's all kinds of things pressing in on this person. Jesus said that the word in their life And the spiritual fruit it was intended to produce is literally choked, choked, and they become unfruitful. Now, I tell you all the time that words matter. This word choked is so powerful. It means to strangle or to drown or to crowd in on so as to suffocate. It's a strong word. Jesus said the crowded life of this person drowns the word, suffocates the word strangles the word. It's the same word used to describe how the crowds would press in on Jesus. It says, as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Master, said one of the disciples, the multitudes throng and press you. And that's what made him have to get into the lake, into the boat, and talk to them on the shore because they were pressing him where he could not move, he could not function until he got away from them. It's the same word. It's the same word. 
Now, Jesus identifies two culprits that are crowding in on this person's spiritual growth, suffocating it. And here they are, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. Now, please understand, Jesus never wasted a word. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. He never wasted a syllable. So when Jesus said, there's two things that are going to choke and suffocate and crowd in on your life, where, where the word is choked and strangled in your life, and they are worry and they are the deceitfulness of riches. These two thieves literally strangle and suffocate the word so that you cannot produce spiritual fruit. And so this is what the enemy uses, these two things. Now I want you to notice how far along this person gets in his spiritual life before these things move in on him and choke the word. This person has received the word. They've received the word. They have been saved. They've been convicted of sin. They've experienced repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. This person has been born again. This person is not lost. The only one that stays lost is the first one, the hard ground. He never receives the gospel. But the second one, the rocky soil, and this third one, the thorny soil, both receive the word saved. And unlike the seed on the hard and the rocky soil, this person develops roots. A root system is developed in this person's life so they are strong enough that they don't fall away when tribulation and persecution come as the rootless person does that we looked at last time. But in the end, two subtle enemies win the day. The worries of this life And the false lure of riches spring up and choke the word, and they become unfruitful. They quit growing in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, and faith. They cease. Their growth is stunted because of these two things. It reminds me of the verse, the little foxes are ruining the vineyards. Catch them, for the grapes are, are all in blossom. That's out of the Song of Solomon. It's the little foxes. It's the things, the subtle thieves that fly under our spiritual radar, that succeed where the most obvious enemies have failed. So these two things, worry and riches, the deceitfulness of riches, fly under the radar in this person's life. He avoids the rocky soil. He's growing. He's moving along. But these things get under the radar, move into his life, and begin to choke the word out of his life. You know, it's not just how you begin. It's how you finish that matters. See, I want to be not just a strong beginner. I want to be a stronger finisher. I don't want to barely drag across the finish line. I want to run at full speed and break that tape at the finish. And and I've got to be aware, and so do you, that if that's our desire and that's our goal, then we need to always remember that there's going to be enemies trying to stop the growth of the Spirit of God in our life all the way to the end. There's always going to be enemies. And thank God, Jesus identifies them here. So I want to look at these two enemies, worry and the deceitfulness of riches. And and let's learn how we can not only recognize them, but defeat them. Jesus said the first one is worry. Now, I know none of you have worried yet, yet this year, but you can get the CD and take it to somebody that worries, right? How many of you can say, Pastor, in all honesty, I've worried some this week. The rest of you, you need to worry about lying. (laughs) Jesus said, listen to what he said, the worries of this world. 
choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Now, again, here's a strong word, worry. It means to divide. You know, James talks about the double-minded man who's unstable in all of his ways. The, 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 the word worry means to, to divide. It means you can't put your focus on any one thing because your attention is always distracted and pulled away by something else. You can't fully focus on the Lord because your, your attention and your, your focus is pulled away to what you're worried about. You are always fragmented. You are always divided. The warrior's ability to focus on seeking Jesus is distracted and divided by the things you're worried about. And Jesus knew all about worry. He fully understood worry. He never worried himself. I'm going to say that again about Jesus. He never worried himself. Jesus never once worried because that would have been sin. Because if you think about it, worry is faith that is backwards. You are believing for something bad to happen. Worry is when you are expecting something bad to happen. That's backward faith. Uh, Bible faith is you believe that good things are coming. Blessing is coming. Joy is coming. Breakthrough is coming. Prayers answered are coming. But worry, you're believing, you're expecting something bad to happen. That's worry. So Jesus talked about worry four times in the Sermon on the Mount alone, and he named it worry. He said, worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry about your life. Let me read read one example, the first one. Jesus said, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or your body, what you will put on. Do not worry about your life. Don't worry. Notice how he points out the things we worry about most. He says what you're going to eat, food, drink, and clothing, the natural everyday stuff of life. How am I going to pay those bills? Uh, What am I going to wear? How am I going to get new clothes when I don't have enough money coming in? Uh, What is going to happen with my life in the future? And we're worried about it. We're thinking about it. We're investing energy in worrying about those things. Uh, What's going to become of me tomorrow? Uh, Am I still going to have a job next week? What will happen to my bills and my house and my mortgage if I lose my income? What about my health? What if I go to the doctor and I get a negative report? What will I do then? And we start worrying. We start worrying about the everyday stuff of life. And in verse 34, he names something else we worry about all the time. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. What you're going to eat, drink, wear, and the future. Everyday stuff of life and your tomorrows are the four main focuses of most things you ever worry about. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? The natural provision issues of life and what's going to happen to me tomorrow. If my marriage fails, if my kids go crazy on me, if I don't have enough money, what am I going to do? What's going to happen to me? And you start reaching into tomorrow. Let me tell you what worry really is. It's when you borrow sorrow from tomorrow. Oh, I used to be so good at that. I was raised in a worrying family. See, worry is a learned response to the challenges of life. Worry is something you learn. You learn to worry instead of believing God Or you learn to worry instead of something constructive. And I was raised in a worrying family. I've got in-laws to this day. If you don't want to worry about it, you can call them. They'll worry for you. 
If you talk to them, they will take you down in five minutes over all the things they're worried about. See, they, they are expert at borrowing sorrow from tomorrow before you know what tomorrow holds. James said, you don't know what tomorrow brings. I want everybody to say that with me. I don't know what tomorrow brings. But see, worry says, you better worry about tomorrow. You better reach into tomorrow and borrow tomorrow's sorrow and bring it into today. And Jesus said, don't do that. He assured us, God will take care of your tomorrow. I'm quoting Jesus here. God will take care of your tomorrow. Live one day at a time. One day at a time. Sufficient unto today are the evils thereof. He says in Matthew, in Sermon on the Mount. Sufficient uh, unto today. So don't reach into tomorrow and borrow tomorrow's sorrow and bring it into today. That's not wise. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. There's only one way. Jesus, listen, Jesus said, worry is so useless. It is so useless. It's such a waste of your time. He said, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Will all your worries add a single moment to your life? No, but it'll take some moments away from your life. You can develop an ulcer. You can lose sleep. You can shorten your years by worry. Worry and anxiety go hand in hand. And we're living in a nation that is drugged and stupefied by drugs because we're so worried we can't handle the worry, the torment of worry in our minds, so we try to shut it down. But there's only one way to defeat worry. Can I be real honest? Without having to drink something or pop a pill or smoke something funny. If you're in Colorado... And the secret to getting rid of worry, to stopping it in its tracks, is found in Philippians 4, 6. It says right here, don't worry about anything. There's no exceptions. You should not worry about anything. Because you know what it's doing? It's choking the word in your life. It's distracting you where you cannot focus on the things that really matter. What did Jesus say to Martha, who was careful and troubled and worried about many things? He said, Martha, Martha. You are careful and troubled and worried about so many things. But Mary has chosen the good part, which will never be taken away from her. And what was Mary doing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his word. And she refused to be distracted by worries like Martha was. And Jesus said, she's receiving something that is eternal. It will never be taken away from her. Don't worry about anything. Here's the solution. Instead, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God your needs. And don't forget to thank Him for His answers. Bottom line is, folks, we can worry or we can pray. We can worry or we can pray. And if you worry, it's going to choke the Word in your life. It's going to choke it. You're not going to grow like you normally would and could if you're always worried. Prayer protects us from the ravages and damages of worry. Prayer is a protection. It's not just something we ought to do. It protects us from the ravages and the damages that worry causes. See, when we take our troubles to God in prayer, we experience a trade-off. We're really doing a trade-off. We trade our troubles in exchange for His peace. Listen to the Word. Then, when you've prayed about it, you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace, listen to this, will guard your hearts 
and your minds guard. That is a protective word. It will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What does it guard you from? Worry. It guards you from worry. The peace of God literally acts like a soldier standing guard over your heart. And when worry starts to approach, the peace of God pulls a sword and says, back off. And you are not consumed by worry. And you're able to focus on the things of God and grow in the things of God. Listen to the way the Message Bible puts it. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. So I want everybody to say with me, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Say, but Jeff, you don't know what's going on in my life. No, but he does, and he says, don't worry about your life. You say, well, now let me, let me ask you, have you prayed about it? Whatever it is that is pressing in on you and causing you to worry, have you prayed about it? You say, well, I've talked to others about it. I didn't ask you that. Did you pray about it? Well, I've thought a lot about it, but did you pray about it? Well, I've blogged about it on Facebook, but have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? Have you taken it to the Lord in prayer? What does the song say? say? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything, everything, everything. The money, the kids, the marriage, the physical condition, everything to God in prayer. Everything. So let's try it again. Don't worry about it. Say it with me. Don't worry about it. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, listen, don't worry about it. Come on, preach a little bit. Tell your neighbor. Don't look at me. I'm telling you, turn to your neighbor and tell him, don't worry about it. There you go. <laughs> so that's the first culprit that will choke the word in your life. And that's how to get rid of it. Now, the second one is the deceitfulness of riches. Jesus said, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And he becomes unfruitful. Now, notice he didn't say riches. He said the deceitfulness of riches. What in the world is that? Well, deceitfulness here, it means a false impression designed to cheat you. The deceitfulness of riches, a false impression or a false belief designed to cheat you. There's nothing like waking up in the morning and realize you got scammed and you got cheated and you got robbed. There is no feeling like that. You got scammed and you got cheated and you got robbed. But you know what the worst one is? When you reach the end of your days and you realize that your whole life you believed something that wasn't true, that riches could satisfy and fulfill your life. That's the deceitfulness of riches. He didn't say don't have riches. This man that is putting us all over the world, he has riches. But I can tell you right now after talking to him, the riches don't have him. Because he's spending his money on putting the gospel out. He's financing us to reach the world. So deceitfulness, a, a false belief that ends up cheating you. It's a mirage. It's that person in the desert that is dying of thirst and thinks they see 
water straight ahead. And they, they, they crawl and they scratch and they arrive at this place and realize it was all a mirage. It wasn't real. It was a false impression. And all they've got is sand sifting through their fingers. And I'm going to tell you, church, that's the way a lot of people live in our culture. They believe riches are going to fulfill them, are going to make them happy, are going to make them uh, enjoy life. And, and, and isn't it true that some of the most miserable people in all the world are people of material wealth? How often do we read about movie stars and Hollywood people with millions and conjillions of dollars, but they're throwing back drugs as fast as they can, and they're living a life of debauchery because money has not made them happy. It can't. So Jesus said, here's what happens. He said, there are people that wake up and say, you know what, if I can just attain that, If I can just make that much, have that car, have that house, have that income, have that paycheck, I will be happy. He said, you have just believed the deceitfulness of riches. The Bible says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Notice he he didn't say, again, money. He didn't say money is the root of all evil. He said the love of it, the love of it. The love of money, when you give your whole life to making money, when all that you are all about is making money, ask somebody who knows you and they'll tell you all they think about from day to dawn to dusk is how they're going to make more money, love of money, the deceitfulness of riches. Jesus taught that God has so wired us human beings that we can't totally dedicate our lives to two different things. We're wired to be faithful to one passion. One God, one primary pursuit. You cannot serve two masters, Jesus said, God and money, for you will hate one and love the other or else the other way around. You can't have two gods. Choose you this day, Joshua said, whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But you can't be divided. You can't be of a double mind. It won't work. You will either Love one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other. And whatever you choose instead of God, I promise you this, you will either grow to hate it or to regret it. So when a person chases money over everything else, that's what they're about, this chokes the word of God in their heart. And they end up trading material wealth for spiritual growth. And and I would take spiritual growth living in a cardboard box downtown or in some tent city. I would take spiritual growth over living in a mansion with no God. Seriously. Because I don't care how big the house is. If you're miserable, that house is tiny. So the way to avoid this trap is to make your life's aim to chase God and not things. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God first. He didn't say only. He just said first. He didn't say only. You've got to seek other things. You've got to seek a job. You've got to seek somebody to marry. You've got to seek, you know, the things that life brings. But he said, there's a first thing. There's a first priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things. All these things that others give their lives to get will be added to you. And in your seeking, practice contentment. I could write a song on contentment. Oh, how precious contentment is. 
Because when you're content, you don't care what's around you. You don't care what your environment is. Your circumstance can be bad or good, but when you're content, you are rich. When you are content, you are rich. Keep your lives free from the love of money, Hebrews says, and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Are you content today? Let me tell you, I'm not wealthy, but in a way I am. Because I wake up every day and I get with the God who created the universe. And he gives me peace and joy. And I'm racking up eternal rewards every day. And spiritual growth is happening in my life by the grace of God. And these are the things that satisfy. When I close my Bible in the morning having gotten with God, I am satisfied. And I am content. Because I've got peace with God. There is no peace, says God, to the wicked. But when you walk with him, and he's your Lord, and he's first in your life, then you're content. And when you're content, you're rich. So to prevent the ground of your heart from becoming thorny ground that chokes the word, cast all your worries onto him in prayer. And be a God chaser, not a riches chaser. And you will be protected from the thorns that choke the word. Can we stand together today? I pray and I intercede for you. I interceded last night. I prayed hard. I prayed fervently. And I, and I pray that God gets us all place where he's our treasure. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't corrupt and thieves can't get in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Is our treasure him? If he is, you're going to be good ground, fertile ground, and you're going to bring forth fruit. Can we lift up holy hands to the Lord today? Lord, thank you that you warned us about the thorns that choke the word. Thank you, Lord, that you have shown us how to avoid those thorns and how to be good fertile ground that brings forth the fruit of the kingdom for eternal rewards. Now I want us to take a minute. And if you're worried about something, would you just right now say, Lord, I'm going to cast all my cares upon you for you care for me. Psalms 55, 22, I'm going to roll my burden onto the Lord, for he will sustain me. He'll never suffer the righteous to be moved. Roll that marriage onto the Lord, those children, your financial pressures, your health. Roll it onto the Lord. As we sing, I want you to do it. Take a minute. Amen. Oh, the power of the cross. Roll it on to the Lord. Oh, the power of the cross. Your love can't be contained by the shackles of the grave. 
power of the cross. The Spirit of God is here today. Oh, the power to you and lift of the, the heavy cross. burden off of you. Your love can't be contained by the shackles of the grave. Amen.